We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. First up, hope everyone is doing okay, keeping safe. Our guest today is legendary college basketball coach Tom Crane. Currently, University of Georgia, also coached at Indiana University, Marquette. Even if you don't follow basketball, coaches on here will all have heard of Dwayne Wade. Tom has worked with him, shares a brilliant story about honesty and awareness. You'll want to hear it. You're going to love this one. It's a different angle, but very, very powerful messaging on challenging players, building an environment, working alongside staff, being consistent with the messages. There's a lot in this. Let me know what you think. At Gary Kareen on Instagram, at Gary Kareen on Twitter. This podcast is brought to you by Bounce Athletics. Stay tuned for a special offer on custom training balls and dynamo goals for podcast listeners. If you're looking for some reading and content over the break, please stop by modernsoccercoach.com. There's new content being posted almost every day. There's also special offers on the webinars and on the books, modernsoccercoach.com. Here is Tom. Enjoy. Coach, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to have you on. Oh, I'm absolutely excited to have you on. I mean, it's it's uh, it's great. I'm a big fan of yours. Follow you. Obviously, we've never met, but I'm a fan of yours, of your books, of your of what you, your Twitter content, of your podcast. Uh, so it's 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 an honor for me to be on with you too. First up, in in this times uncertainty, I mean, how are you? We just spoke there about the landscape and and you being busy with transfers and the recruitment side. I mean. What kind of guidance or I suppose what kind of communication are you having with your team at the minute? Because the way the season finished must have been just devastating. Well, it, it was. There's no doubt. And at least we finished on a win. And and that's uh, there, there's no question that's good for the mental psyche to have that last game be a win. But right now, for me, it's more texting. There's some phone calls. I try to make sure we, we can start to have meetings with them. And they are our, our players at the University of Georgia went back to school today uh, online on Monday and the people that had had in their uh, online classes had gone back two weeks ago, but now everything is online like it is in most other places. So there'll be the, the opportunity now to have a few team meetings, but the most important thing for me is the individual connection with them, sending them articles, uh, sending them things about their game, sending them pictures. You know, obviously we're in such a visual world. You want to do that. But I think just keeping the communication fluid and uh, different and just making sure that it's it's pretty consistent. How are they doing with it? I think they're doing OK. I think it's like uh, anything else. There's there's an amount of uh, stir craziness that goes into this. Uh, there's an amount of boredom that goes into this. But you have to have a focus. Right. And I think the most important thing is, is it's really hard to say, hey, let's get on a schedule. But I think the biggest thing for me, because we would be in our off-season training program if the season had ended, 
And, and uh, to me right now, that's the scariest thing. There were four real key things that I wanted to make sure we accomplished in the spring, you know, as a, as, as a team. Number one, we had to get stronger, all right? Number two, with, inside of that strength, we had to get tougher. Uh, number three, we've got to build a level of leadership individually and collectively. And then number four, the basketball development part of it for me is huge. It's absolutely huge because we're a team and a program that's tried to make that our cornerstone, you know, your individual development in a small group environment. Sometimes that small group might be two or three or four. Sometimes it might be six. Uh, a lot of times it's one and two. It's one person. It's trying to really make sure that they're getting better individually. But you have to get that toughness training. You've got to get that strength training. We need a lot of work in the leadership training. And so now you're just trying to make sure you hit on those aspects with our strength coach, send them things they're going to help in leadership, get them talking, and just try to be creative in how we do that. And then make sure that we're, we're staying on top of them with what they're working on to improve their games. The player development side, it's a big buzzword in soccer. And from looking at basketball and college basketball, NBA, I mean, it's something that I think you guys are miles ahead of where we are. You, you just spoke there about the, the kind of the transfer mentality. When a player comes in and says to you, listen, I want to play in the NBA, what type of, you know, weekly, daily processes does that look like of that commitment level? Well, the commitment level is huge and it's got to be a two-way street. And because a lot of times they have hopes and dreams, but they have no real understanding of how the focus, how uncomfortable they have to be with it, the work that goes into it, you know, the, the, the strain. There's a strain that goes into this. There's a strain that goes into lifting, to running, conditioning working on skills that aren't easy, right? Like that's the kind of thing that you've got to have and you've got to get them to overcome the strain. I'm not sure they're ever going to embrace it. I think that a lot of times becomes a buzzword, you know, with the grind and things like that. I don't really buy that, right? I think you've got to overcome it. You've got to overcome your own fatigue. You've got to overcome your own lack of focus. And I think that in turn then helps build a level of mental toughness. But the players that I've had, and, there, and there's been quite a few. Our MBA contracted money over my period of time right now is about $583 million. And I'm proud of that because that means that those guys not only went in there at the beginning and did okay, they got second and third and fourth contracts. And, and that's the bottom line. When you're training a player that he says, well, I want to make it in the NBA. I'm saying, no, you want to get a second contract. That's what, that's what I want to train you for. I don't want to train you to be drafted. I want to train you to be NBA ready. And there's a huge, huge difference. And because and, and, there's a lot of kids that have the ability to get drafted, all right? That becomes down to a situation is what, what does the individual team want? But being NBA ready is on a different stratosphere. And our job is to help give them uh, enough tools, enough guidance, push them, drive them, demand, confront, uh, all the different things that go into it, because ultimately what I want somebody to leave with is the ability to self-correct and the ability to look at and, and make their own adjustments in their game based on their training, based on what they know, based on what they've been able to address. And most kids, when they walk in, they have no idea what that is. You know, we talk on our staff all the time that young people are becoming, they're becoming less and less of adequate self-evaluators. They really can't evaluate where their game is. And that's where a lot of times 
their expectations or people around them's expectations are way higher than their skill level. And you've got to do everything to get, if, if they have expectations, you've got to teach them what the skill level's got to be like to get there. And one reason there's so many transfers in this game is because a family's expectations or somebody's expectation for that person isn't close to where their skill level is. Well, it's not a bad thing if you know you got to develop your skills. It's a bad thing when you don't think your skills are important that you should be entitled or enabled to something. And that's where there's so much of an issue right now in, in transferring throughout college basketball and really in all other sports. It's just a matter of time before it all becomes an issue. So I think you have to stay true to yourself as a coach on how you're trying to train them. And it's not a cookie cutter process. It's not one a paintbrush fits every size, right? You've got to go in there and you've got to individualize and personalize what you're trying to do with them to get them better. And I think that's where the energy comes from. If you feel it as a coach on what they need to do to develop, there's a pretty good chance they're going to feel that energy from you. But if it's just you feeling the energy and it's not them bringing the work ethic with it, that's not a two-way street. That's a one-way street. And those usually don't turn out too well. Outside looking in, every school that I've worked at, I've always walked past the the basketball court. You always hear the bounce, the ball bouncing. Uh, six o'clock in the morning, you're in for early morning. The ball bounce. People are always working out. And it's slightly ironic that our biggest challenge as a soccer community at the minute is having players doing, you know, working on their working by themselves. It seems like basketball have this mentality that you don't have a problem with players working by themselves. So when you talk about self-management and you talk about that self-correctness, I mean, is it the practice that's the challenge? Is it the weights that's the challenge? Is it lifestyle that's the challenge? Or what's the biggest challenge to get from good college to great MBA potential? Uh, it's every one of those things you just said, probably about two dozen more. It just <laughs> depends on what day it is, truly. It depends on what day it is. It's so easy to get distracted. And so I think to me, you have to have great self-discipline to go in the gym and really get better on your own. That's where, you know, obviously we have the rules during the, uh, during the season of the 20 hour week, you know, we have the off season rules, all those type of things. We wanna make sure that we have really good graduate assistant managers or managers that can go in there that can help the player with their rebounding, right? Like um, that can pass to them, give them a game like pass, rebound and snap it back out to them. Uh, help bring them some energy. They don't necessarily have to coach them as much as they've got to be able to help remind them and bring them uh, some energy too, right? Somebody just, you know, gallivants around and tosses the ball back out to you or doesn't chase after it. You might as well just go sit on the couch, you know, eat some Cheetos and watch TV. You're not getting better doing that, right? You're getting better because we're always talking about game speed, game like, game speed, game like. How much can you get to that in your workouts? So to me, you've got to keep getting kids to understand in practice that how hard they have to go. Well, you also have to have a high level when you go in and work out on your own or you work out in that early morning time or late night. And one of the, the, the pros I've had that have had the best success, it's no accident that they were the best workers. Dwayne Wade was one of the best workers I ever coached. Travis Diener, uh, Steve Novak, Wesley Matthews, who was also an outstanding soccer player back in the state of Wisconsin, who's still playing in the NBA. He's had a fantastic career. 
Uh, those guys were tremendous at, at being in the gym. Jarrell McNeil. I mean, I can go right on down the line. Indiana, Victor Aladipo, uh, who's had a tremendous career, had one scholarship offer. We were the only offer that he had at Indiana. And there might have been two days in the three years that he was at Indiana that he wasn't in the gym at Indiana when he was in town. And one of those days was a day that I literally uh, locked the basketballs in a different closet where the players couldn't get to because I thought we had some guys that were spending maybe too much time on their own in the gym and it was affecting their fatigue level. So right on down the line, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who it is. And it's the same thing at Georgia. We've got a young guy right now that is gonna be one of the top picks, if not the top pick in the upcoming NBA draft and Anthony Edwards. He's, I've never had a guy spend more time in the gym after the game than what he did. I mean, it wasn't uncommon for him to go back in and shoot for an hour and a half to two hours after a game if he didn't think he shot well. Just an incredible drive. And I think it's no accident. It, it's no accident, you know, why that happens. I had a player, I won't name him, but I had a player the year we were number one in the country at Indiana for like, I don't know, it was 11, 12, 13 weeks, something like that. And we had a player that was shooting an incredibly high percentage, okay, at the beginning of the year, probably in the in the 50s, in the November, December, December timeframe. He'd really worked that offseason to become a better player. Well, we had a lot of guys that were going in the gym extra. They were staying after practice, and they were working on their shots. So some of our best shooters, most of our best shooters, were staying in the gym after practice really every day, every day. And, and this one young guy wasn't, he would practice would end and he'd be done and he'd give me, well, I'm working out on my own. Well, that shooting percentage started to drop to the point where he was a very unreliable three point shooter by the end of the year. And his percentages had dropped to the low thirties, high twenties. It was not an accident. Your practice is not enough. That's one of the great stories in my mind. And you have to have an attitude in the weight room. You have to have an attitude on the, on the bike or the treadmill or the EFX, you know, whatever it is, you've got to have an attitude in sprints. You've got to have an attitude and, and that stuff manifests itself. And then you've got to have an attitude of, of excellence when you're trying to go over to study hall or when you've got to see your tutor or you've got to see your mentor or you've got to do some work that night because I've not been around very many players that were having bad academic habits and bad academic outcomes that had good basketball habits and good basketball outcomes. It's amazing how it goes together. So you're trying to get them to understand the completeness that they've got to have in competing and driving themselves and getting better and being coachable and listening and to what that takes. And, it, and you've got to work at it every day. We'll just take a quick break here Coaches, if you're looking to raise your club's profile in the local community and give them a professional look this season, please check out NFHS and FIFA-approved custom-textured training balls and vests from Bounce Athletics. Fully customised with your logo and colour scheme and produced in the same factories as the global brand balls that you're already using, Bounce Athletics training balls feature a textured PU outer with hybrid seamless construction so they look, feel and play like match balls. Modern Soccer Coach podcast listeners can get a $50 discount on their first order of custom balls or training vests by mentioning the podcast when they email info at bounceathletics.com to begin the order process. With a player that is 
you know, cutting the corners and who doesn't really, because I think there's going to be a lot of co- soccer coaches that are like, I have a high talent player who lights it up on game days and, you know, they probably haven't got to a level where they've been exposed for their work habits yet. But I know that level's coming. I mean, how much as a coach can you, without the resistance fracture in the relationship, how much can you change the person without, yeah, destroying that there? Well, there's a couple of things. Bill Walsh said a long time ago, I'm paraphrasing here, but you've got to find seven or eight different ways to get the same thing accomplished without it being the same drill. And I think that's the same way that I think about that all the time in coaching. That's how we have to coach. I always tell my coaches this too. I said, less is more, more often, right? So say less when you talk, okay? But say it more often. And you have to keep finding out different ways to get that across. And it's and it's easier said than done. You know, we start talking and we want to get everything that we know. I know I'm guilty of that, right? We want to get it all out. But you have to really, you have to mix it up. And, and I don't think there's, see, that term brutally honest, I think that's a buzzword that what's brutal about being honest, right? What's brutal is lying to somebody, being afraid to confront them, and they end up not knowing how to hold a job, stay with a team, take care of their family, you know, all those different things. Now, that's brutal, right? That's brutal. Being honest is not brutal. Being honest is love. If you really do have an interest that can grow into a desire to help that person succeed and you feel it, that's a love, right? That's a love that the player should embrace. So you can't be afraid to tell them the truth. Now, that's where you have to find different ways to tell it right? You have to find different ways to show it. You have to find different ways to get it across. You've got to use different mediums to figure that out. And I think that's our challenge as coaches more and more to this day, you know, because obviously it's really easy to talk about millennials and talk about how little they learn. I mean, how how many different, not how little they learn, but how many different ways they learn and how hard it is to get things across. Well, if you keep coaching that way, somebody else is going to have your job, right? There's still nothing that gets in the way or there's better, okay, for you or that replaces being truthful, but having a plan, right? The bottom line with coaching, if I just come to you and I tell you the truth, or I just come to you and you take it as negative, or I just come to you and you take it as criticism, okay, well, that's your perception. You may not handle that very well, but if I come to you and I bring the same thing with some solutions, if I bring the same thing with some stories, if I bring the same thing and then we go work on it. Well, now, how are you going to be mad at me? Because I'm trying to do everything that I can do to make you better. And I think that's where there's a disconnect that all coaches, young or old, have really got to watch right now. Okay? We get frustrated with the wrong things. We get mad about the wrong things. There's nothing wrong with demanding, with confronting, with having an edge. But you have to give them the tools to get through it. You have to give them the tools to fix it. And then you have to stay with them. And, and I'm never going to be afraid to correct somebody's shot. I'm never going to be afraid to work on somebody's left or right hand by meaning they have to drop their left or right shoulder or turn their left or right hip a little bit more. I'm never going to be afraid to demand defensive disposition, defensive mentality. I'm never going to be afraid to challenge somebody that is not given the level of enthusiasm and intensity. Because if I am, I'm cheating them. All right. That's not who I am. And there's going to be somebody else doing my job in the near future. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I can imagine the, the search for talent at your level. It's just unbelievable. I mean, the, whenever you're looking at a 15, 16 year old, 
and half the country are after them and you want to but but you know that they're not getting exposed to that level of adversity or that level of i suppose mental skills training do you have any impact or or do you do anything with the club coach or the high school coach to try and help them through that there well i think without if they ask there's no question and i'll also volunteer things i think this again it's like you treat the coaches like you would your own coaches or you like you would your players if there's an article i like i'm probably going to send it to some different coaches if there's a quote that i like if there's a video that i like if there's a link to a podcast that i like if there's something that we've done i think we'll hit them I'm not afraid to do that too, because what I've found is this, not all of them, not all, some coaches get sensitive if you send them something that they think you're attacking them or questioning them. So I've learned sometimes you got to put more context in it, but I'm not. And what I've also found though, there's 99.5% of the coaches, they want to get better too. Like I want energy. I want to be around people that have energy. I may read something that gives me energy. This, this podcast has given me energy. Your work gives me energy. There's other works out there. I want to share that, you know, with my coaches, with my friends, with the coaches of people that we're recruiting. I think that only helps them. And in turn, that they're bringing that energy to the player. It's not a trick. Like I said this to a recruit the other night and, and um, because there was another school that was recruiting them and they put the, the old ultimatum on, hey, if you don't take this scholarship, somebody else is going to get it. And, and whether it was true or whether it's not, it's really hard to do that in this climate right now when it's been a two-week window or less for recruiting some of these transfers, right? And I said, listen, I said, you're getting played like a game right now, okay? Recruiting is not a game. Too many people think recruiting is a game. No, the game is the game, okay? Recruiting is life. Recruiting is a relationship building that affects your life and it affects my life. I said, it doesn't cross my mind to do that, right? I've had to do it because it was the truth, right? But you don't just make something up to say, hey, you know, if you don't take this scholarship, somebody else is going to do it. That's somebody's life you're dealing with, okay? And, and every once in a while, it is true. It does come down to two people, okay? But the most part, it's like, it's the same thing with the coaches. It's the same thing with the players. The more you treat recruiting like a game, okay? Well, yeah, you're going to compete and you're going to win some, you're definitely going to be able to trick some people, but you are not going to build lasting relationship because sometimes as coaches, we create too many expectations for where the skill level is. And my job is, in my view, is I'm going to create an expectation based on what you're showing me and based on what I see, but then I'm going to help you get the skills and I'm not going to back away from that even when you don't want to do it. Yeah, because that's the... It's the same in every sport, isn't it? Whenever you're trying to, we're in the selling business. So whenever you're trying to sell something, you're going to cut some corners. And if you were brutally, not brutally honest with that player, this is what, it's going to come in every day. You're going to work hard. You're going to grow. You're going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes that's a harder sell than, hey, this is our new basketballer gym, or this is our 45,000 seater stadium. And, you know, I suppose, how do you be, honest without scaring them away is that the relationship you have to do both and i think i've been guilty of that right i think i've been guilty of that you know because because it is true brutally honest does come across brutal sometimes right that's why i don't to me it's not brutal it's the truth but a lot of times it's really it's 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 funny you mention that gary because it is hard it's really hard because a lot of times 
it's harder with the parents to get across what that player or what that person needs to have. I have, and we can't do this now, obviously, because we're not in our offices. But when I watch film with a player, you know, I kind of try to follow this rule when their family is there. If, if, if they're sitting there and that film session ends, when I go through the film of how we play, how they play, how it's going to fit, where they've got to get better at. And that parent at some point says, hey, we didn't know that. You know, he really needed to hear that. Or we had no idea. And, and that's, a, that's a great sign, right? That's a sign that you're going to be able to work with that parent because they had an education and said, wait, but we didn't know this. Now, a lot of times you'll get somebody else say, yeah, that's what we keep telling them. That's what we keep telling them. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Now you've got to figure that out. But the parent that gets real quiet in there, the parent that doesn't really have anything to say about that, that's the one you got to be careful of because they didn't really want to hear it. They didn't want to hear what that kid had to get better at. And see, and I believe recruiting is an education. It's an education for me. It's an education for the, for the player. It's an education for the family. Recruiting is a case study. Every kid is a case study unto itself. And when you start treating your team or treating your recruiting with a cookie cutter approach, one size fits all, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. You may win some games, but you're not going to win the wars, right? You're not going to win the championships. And so to me, you've got to look for all those signs. And if, 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 if you get too offended on what I'm trying to say about what I truly believe, your son or your daughter on the women's side of it needs to do to get better. This is not going to work because now I know exactly where they're going to go, okay, to hear what they want to hear, not hear what they need to hear. And I always tell this to my coaches, and it's the same thing with families, right? I've, I've been a part of this, and you probably have too. You don't want to be the office where they go to all the time. You don't want to be the office where they go to to hang out all the time. You don't want to be the office where they go for what I call a cleansing, right? Like, let me go in and I'm going to hear everything that I want to hear and I'm going to feel better about myself. You know, and a fireable offense to me is the moment you find out that a coach said, hey, yeah, you know what? You're right. Coach shouldn't do that. I'm going to talk to him about that. If I ever find that out, like we're looking at about a 48 hour period before you're out, right? Like that's, that's, that's not loyalty. That You don't have to agree with everything, but you don't pacify the player by telling them what they want to hear. Because if there is an office, if there is a staff member that will tell that person just what they want to hear when it's not the truth to pacify them, you're breaking down the work of everybody else in the program. And it's the same thing like with managers. If we work two, two hours a day, two and a half hours a day, three hours a day, whatever it is, and we're working on that game and they go in that gym and you let them shoot the ball the wrong way, or you let them shoot lazy, or you don't make them step into their shot or work out it the right way, all you're doing is breaking down our work. So don't be in there. And see, to me, that's honest, because we, we have a lot of managers and graduate assistants, just like I'm sure you do, that they want to be coaches. They want to move on. Well, nobody's going to hire them if they can't make somebody better. Nobody's going to hire them if they can't be demanding and nobody's going to hire them if they don't have a personality to, 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 to energize players. And, and so like we've had 10 or 11 guys go off to be head coaches. I've had numerous managers or graduate assistants, graduate managers go off even to be division one head coaches, but to work in the NBA, to work in colleges, to coach high school, you're not going to be successful if you just go along and tell people what they want to hear. 
So getting back to the original part of the question, when you're recruiting, the honest approach, but having fun with it, like we do have great facilities. We do have an unbelievable campus. We're selling our games out. Those are facts. It's like I tell our coaches all the time. If you give an opinion on a coach or on a school, all right, that, that is not based in fact, that's negative recruiting. When you give a fact, that's the right way to do it. That is recruiting, right? When you give a fact on something, right? When you just throw an opinion, that's negative recruiting. Let's stay away from opinions. But when we have some facts, that's part of the, that's part of the process. That's part of the recruiting business. What's well, the same thing with your players? It's the same thing with your players. If you're going to just throw out some opinions and you don't have some, some value base to that, well, really, you're not making them better. And then you shouldn't be upset that there's not a relationship with them later on down the line. And the best relationships I've ever had, there were a ton of confrontations. There were a ton of demands. There were a bunch of hard days. There were a bunch of, he's crazy. Why is he pushing me like this? But those are the ones that invite you to their weddings. Those are the ones that keep in touch with you all the way down the line. Those are the ones that you continue to build lifelong relationships with because eventually they figure out that's what's most important. We're going to take our second and final break here to tell you about the aluminum folding dynamo goal from Bounce Athletics. The world's most portable and durable small-sided goal, weighing only 19 pounds, takes only five seconds to set up or fold flat. The Dynamo Goal is utilised by the entire North American soccer spectrum from rec programmes to MLS clubs to create a dynamic small-sided training and game environment. Available in 3x5 and 4x6 size, the Dynamo Goal requires no staking, so it is perfect on all training surfaces. Net customization is also available for those programs looking to create an even more professional training environment. The goals start at only $257 per goal with free shipping and Modern Soccer Coach listeners can get a $50 discount on their order when they use the offer code MODERN, not case sensitive, at checkout. Visit www.dynamogoal.com for more details. College basketball is... It is the thing. People love it. People want to watch. It's just so high tempo. It's interesting. I watched the Bobby Knight 30 for 30 and coaching is almost the same as the game. It's almost like, you know, the, the shirt is drenched. He's in players' faces. I mean, how much, I suppose, during the game now with the game tempo being so quick, do you look at, you know, calming the player down to make the decisions or is it just to like keep that keep that energy as high as possible to get through it. I mean, how do you manage players during the game? I suppose that's what I'm asking. Well, you know, what? that's, that's the hardest thing. That, that might be the hardest thing. Jim Boylan, who's the coach of the Chicago Bulls is a great friend of mine. And he said a couple of years ago, he said the hardest thing to deal with, with a modern NBA player is in-game failure because they see it as failure. They don't see it as a missed shot. They don't see it as a bad possession. They see it as failure. He's exactly right. There is no greater challenge to me as a coach. And I'm sure it's the same way in soccer. It's, it's definitely this way in basketball is to deal. The head goes down consistently when somebody misses a shot, doesn't get the ball. All right. Or is taken out of the game quicker than what they think they should be. All right. And to get that person back in a quick way. So energy is a huge part of it for me. 
I don't try to coach negative at all during the game. I try to coach in reminders. I try to coach with intensity. I have my assistants try to point out the things that, that are important when they come off the bench. If somebody's coming off with a bad attitude, there might be times that I'm going to get after them about that. Because maturity level is, is an ongoing process. It's constant. And the immaturity of moodiness, the immaturity of sullen, the immaturity of selfishness, the immaturity of disappointment, which looks like failure, those are killers. So there's so many times that in modern day coaching that you have to be a cheerleader. You have to get them through it. And I'll say to my coaches all the time, they'll say, well, we're not doing this or we're not doing that or he's not doing this, he's not doing that. I said, we got to win the game. We'll sort that out later. We got to win the game. And I think any advice you could give it, be given to young coaches that are assistants or aspiring head coaches is keep the main thing the main thing. The game is the main thing. The practice is the main thing, okay? The film session is the main thing when it's that. But when it's the game, it's not tomorrow's practice. When it's the game, it's not what you're going to say after the game. When it's the game, it's not about what that person did two weeks ago. It's the game. Like you got to figure out a way to control what you can control. You got to figure out a way to go on to next possession, next play. And that is so hard for players. And I'm telling you, that's a bad trait in young coaches because young coaches were those same young or those same players. You don't want to be singing Kumbaya all the time over there. And it's not all about happiness, but it is about truthfulness. It is about moving them on. It is about getting their attention. And then after the game, in the film session the next day, then you fix some of those things. But you've got to fix the game because so many games are so close, right? They're so close in score. And I can't imagine what it's like in soccer, you know, where, 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 the, where the score is incredibly close every game for the most part. So getting people through that, getting them inspired to finish is really, really important. And I think there's two key components to finishing. It's, it's overcoming your fatigue level and it's overcoming your disappointment level. And how do you get to that every day? And the more that you can do that, the better you're going to be. You said that you were watching a lot of European basketball. What are the differences in a European player that's come through a different model of development, both in skill and I suppose the coaching around it? Oh, there's a definite difference. It, there's a statistic and it's probably changed a little bit now, but I think this is interesting for everybody because I'm sure this hits in soccer and all the other countries as well. But there was a study done probably, oh, it has to be now, it's got to be close to a dozen years ago, okay? That, that, that at one point, for every player from the age of 13 on, okay, junior high, high school, college pro, for every player in the United States, for every practice that they had had, they had six games, all right, all the way up and down the line. Overseas, you know, in the Russias, in the Argentinas, in the Swedens, all those different countries, okay, in the same age group, age of 13 on, for every game they played, they had 6.2 practices, okay? Well, a dozen years ago, 13, 14, 15 years ago, in the NBA, it was one out of every 13 to 13 and a half players in the NBA was foreign born or from another country, all right? This past year, not this past, or not the season we're in right now that's on hold, but the season before, it was one out of every 5.2, all right? It's continued to drop. Before this last year's previous draft, there had been three straight years 
where the numbers were continuing to climb on foreign-born players being drafted. Now, I've seen it as high as one out of every five. I, I have not seen that statistically proven, but I have seen the one out of every 5.2 that's been proven. Now, you think about that. Think about how the game of Europe has changed the NBA in itself. Because over all those years, the number of practices far exceeded the games, where in the United States, the number of games far exceeds the practices. So you have got to be in a situation where you are constantly getting them to understand the values of fundamentals, creative fundamentals, and, and how important those are. And that goes back to that Bill Walsh quote, you know, working on fundamentals, you're gonna find seven, eight, maybe nine, 10 different ways to work on those same fundamentals, to keep it creative, to keep it moving. The hardest thing for a young player right now in college basketball is to understand the value of a team practice. It's not to get them to understand of lifting weights. It's not to get them to understand how to work on their own. It's not to get them to understand how to do shooting contests and games. It's not to get them to understand how much they enjoy the game. It's to get them to understand the value of an intense, driven, competitive, mentally ready practice every day. That's the hardest thing. And then to finish that practice in a good way. So when you get somebody from Europe, a lot of times they've already got that understanding of the value of fundamentals. They've got that understanding of the value of two-a-days. They've got that understanding of the value of moving the ball. And, and I think it's outstanding. That's why in the offseason, I study as much European basketball as I can possibly study. That's really, but the bulk of my time right now in this time frame with what we're dealing with is spent on recruiting tape, but the rest of it is being spent on European tape if it's not my own players. If it's studying my own team, it's being spent on European tape because there's so many different concepts and ideas to take from it that it, it energizes me. Yeah, interesting. There is a difference in the European and the collegiate level on the soccer side, big, big difference as well. I would say it's, it's pretty similar. The, the main takeaway then is the, the physical differences are yeah. obviously drastic. I mean, how do you, is that just a, a living in the gym for two, three years or do you try and, maneuver the player into that or do you just I suppose feed off their strengths well you've got it you for us we're attacking athleticism every day we're not just attacking strength we're not just attacking conditioning we're not just attacking skill development we're attacking athleticism and and it's a cornerstone you know are we making somebody a better athlete and so I'm constantly looking at hip hip flexibility how their feet land how they stretch their feet how they drop their shoulders what their length is like what their wrist strength is like you know, it's not necessarily a person doesn't have good hands. Do they have strong enough wrists? What can we keep addressing to build that flexibility? What can we keep addressing then to build that strength? Because if, if you can't win in this game, you cannot win in collegiately. If you're just expecting that your team is going to be physically ready constantly to play at this level. Certainly, you've got to get a conditioning aspect to it. You have to allow them to gain strength. But you have to keep training them in an athletic way so that they keep gaining that. And so the, the athletic component to me is really pretty much built into, I'd say, a good 60% of our practice. Like, is there going to be an athletic component to this too? Are we really going to be able to get our hips turned here? Are we really going to focus on stretching our feet? So if we're doing driving drills, getting to the rim drills, we're focusing on our athleticism as well. We're focusing on how we turn 
that foot and hip. We're focusing on getting bigger steps, not playing short or small step. We're, we're, we're focusing on our extension. We're focusing on, on uh, our leverage, right? We're not just doing a basketball drill. We're athletic training as well. And I think that's why guys, they've got to be able to jump during the season. They've got to be able to make athletic jumps during the season. I don't come from the school of, well, we're just going to work and train in the off season and keep it maintained during the season. No, you're not because somebody's going by you, right? And it doesn't matter if your philosophy is, hey, we're going to really lift during the season. Well, then that probably is going to be a pretty good philosophy for you. But whatever it is, you got to buy into it and you've got to keep it consistent. So that athletic training while they're getting stronger is huge to us. All right, last one for you. Advice for coaches. I mean, you've, this has been amazing in dealing with and, and the environment. I mean, for a coach that's looking at, at building a career on the soccer side to what you've done, what, what, would, you, what would you tell them? Well, get around teaching that inspires you. Get around, uh, and there's so many vehicles right now that weren't there when you just started and certainly weren't there when I just started, right? But knowledge is not just about having information and a lot of ideas. Knowledge is about really learning. And, and, and we were always taught as coaches, just like you were, to become teachers, right? I wasn't an education major. I don't have a teaching certificate, but I was around people that taught me the value of teaching the game. And because my energy was one where I really wanted to learn the game and I wanted to be a great teacher of it, then I wanted to dive into the details of it. And I think it's like anything else right now. Most teams can finish their practice and be, it, 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 they, can, they, they can have a 70 to 80% practice, right? Most people can do their job to a 70 or 80% level because they care. But it's that last 30, 20%, 10%, 5% that's really so hard to identify that separates. Because no game or a game rarely ever comes down to the last shot, the last goal, whatever it is. There's always there's little, little things during the game that could have gone the other way. There's always those five, six, seven, eight plays you'd like to have back. Or those four, five, six, seven, eight plays that made the difference. And I think as coaches, it's the same thing. Dive into the details, get around people and study people that can teach the game, not just show you a play, all right? And, and learn to truly develop by the work that you put into it. Sweat equity, whatever you want to call it, the work that you put into somebody, all right? That that becomes one where you're driven to really help them succeed. And, and to me, I, I'll leave with this quote, a great coach that I grew up around that was the coach at Central Michigan University in basketball. And then he was the head coach at Miami of Ohio and he died a few years ago, his name was Charlie Coles. And he taught me a lot of things when I was in college. But the one thing he taught me that I think is so important for any coach to remember, he said, never lose the faith of your players. He said, no matter what, never lose the faith of your players. Because players help coaches get jobs by the way they talk about their coaches. And I thought that was brilliant. And to this day, at the age of 54, I still believe that wholeheartedly. Wow. Wow. All right, last one. I'm pushing my luck here. Uh, tell, yeah, tell, you're good. Tell us a D. Wade story, work ethic, attitude, leadership, something about, you know, what, what he kind of stood out as a person. Well, here, here there's so many, but... but uh, his greatest attributes uh, on the court 
were poise and vision. That's what he really, really developed. You know, when you talk about the game slowing down for somebody, I saw that develop with him. But I'll tell you what he has, and, and there's so many. We could do a three-hour podcast on him. There's so many. But what he has got, and he had it at a young age, because of his humility uh, and because of his drive, he's got a gift of honesty. He could be honest with other people because he was always honest with himself from a very, very young time. And I'll never forget, like he sat out his first year with us and we're playing a game one night at home. And so like he couldn't play. So we'd have him dressed up. We'd have him wearing the right clothes to, to be up at the front of the bench. I'd have him keep a chart, you know, as an 18 year old, because I wanted him ingrained in the game. Well, there's a halftime and we're not playing very well. And I asked him about a player. I said, how is so-and-so playing? I said, on a scale of one to 10. And he said, about a two. And you could have heard a pin drop in that locker room. Like he pierced the teammate. I mean, he pierced him. And what it did is it triggered that player. We go out and win the game in the second half. And that young guy was a freshman. He had a good second half. And I go in the back. And he's talking to him back in the shower bathroom area. The kid is crying. All right. And Dwayne is talking him through it. Because he pierced the kid in a way that triggered him. And Dwayne was in the back as an 18 year old to 18 year old telling him why he said it. And it was unbelievable to me. I'll never forget it as long as I live. The 18 year old having that level of honesty. Well, you know why that worked? Because he could be honest with himself. He could be honest about his game. He could be honest about where he was at. And that's a huge thing. That's an absolute huge thing. Wow. Wow. Good story, isn't it? That's amazing. I'll never forget it. There's so many, but I'll never forget it. And, and that speaks volumes about who he is to this day. Brilliant. Brilliant. Outstanding. Coach, I can't thank you enough. This is amazing. I've loved it. I'm a big fan. Like I said, I've loved it. Thanks so much to Tom there for his time and his insight. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, I thought that was phenomenal. Something that I think we all struggle with as coaches or we're all certainly challenged with is how to challenge players without jeopardizing the relationship aspect of it and we had Rulani on there last week talking about honesty as well in a in an environment and I thought that insight there from Tom was was really inspiring because it actually you know, makes you believe that you can actually be the coach that sometimes you, we, we veer away from challenging and we veer more towards safety and that as Tom is saying there doesn't help anyone in the environment and and the intensity and the energy that he's delivering that with means that you can be challenging, you can be honest, but you also have to work on the side of the player. You also have to guide them with solutions. You also have to point them towards answers. And I thought that was a brilliant little insight there into how those college environments in terms of basketball work. And I've seen them from afar and they're super intense because of the nature of the way it's played. and. I think it's it's brilliant little insight there into not only how he's working alongside his players, but also how he holds his staff accountable, even the managers throwing the balls to the players in a rebounding drill, like how consistent that has to be with his culture. And I think if you want to go a step further, what I would put down as the driver behind it would be Tom's mindset and Tom's personality and Tom's ability to push himself as well and for a top level legendary basketball coach to to jump on a soccer podcast 
with 24 hours notice it tells you a little bit about you know how open-minded he is and how willing he is to go out of his way to help other people and give other people a little bit of perspective and a bit of insight on how he can help them so i thought that was outstanding really really enjoyed it would love to hear your thoughts on it at gary kernin on twitter at gary kernin on instagram again a big big thanks to tom for coming on so please let me know what you think and please stay safe during this tough time as well and i will talk to you next week goodbye Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.